you so much. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at the account of the Magi, or the wise men as we know them, from Matthew chapter 2 this morning. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them, until they came, it came, and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother, with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. That's God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, another time in this part of your word and pray your blessing upon it. We thank you for all the stories that surround the wonder and the awe, the mystery of the birth of Christ. And we pray that as we look together at this particular account, that you would give us insight into it. Did you open our hearts to receive its truth? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the men we just read about in Matthew 2 are some of the most mysterious people that we find in the Bible. We know very little about them. We don't know who they were. We really don't know from where they came. We don't know exactly how many there were. We assume there were three because they gave three gifts, but we don't know that for sure. Uh, Nor do we know exactly when it was they arrived to visit the Christ child. We call them the, the Magi or the wise men. And really all that we know about them is what we find here in this account in Matthew chapter 2. Now, when you think of people in the Bible who set an example for us to live as the followers of Christ, you don't normally think of the Magi. But I'm convinced that as you look at them and what they did in this text, we find some very important examples that we can follow. You know, we've kind of made these men bigger than life. You know, making their way deliberately on their camels across the desert, robed in splendor, arriving uh, with this great sense of nobility to visit the Christ child. You know, we three kings of Orient are. 
One of my favorite hymns, by the way. But you know, they serve a very functional purpose to us, I think, in how they approached Christ and how they sought Him. Four examples I want to draw from this text for you this morning. The first example is an example of grace. An example of grace. When you see these magi, these wise men coming to visit the Christ child, almost the first thing you want to ask is, what are they doing here? What are they doing here? Again, we don't know very much about them. But what we do know is they were Gentiles. They were not a part of the covenant people of God. They they were not those who had received the, the covenant promises of God. And so as you see these men from the east, wherever that was, coming to visit the Christ child, you know, it really begins to give us a hint of what we found in Ephesians 3. What isn't it? That the Gentiles also are heirs of the kingdom, joint heirs of the promise of grace that God has given. And we assume that these men were astrologers of some kind who had an interest in the stars and somehow they had enough information from somewhere to know that the Jews expected a Messiah to come, but these were not what you would call spiritual or godly men. And yet God comes, when He comes to announce the birth of His Son, God comes to this group of outsiders. God comes to this group of men from a far country, if you will. Now you would have thought that the announcement of the birth of Christ would have come first to the scribes or the Pharisees or the priests, the religious leaders in in that day, or certainly to some of the devout people who worshipped regularly in the synagogue. But that's not what you find. The first announcement of the birth of Christ really is made to two odd groups. To a group of shepherds keeping their flocks out on the, in the fields by night and to this group of magi from the east. Magi are an example of grace because it was clearly only because of God's grace that they knew anything about the Savior. They were hundreds of miles away. And yet the good news came to them. They had nothing in themselves to draw them to Christ. And yet the good news of the gospel came to them. And they came looking for Jesus, not because of their righteousness or their obedience or because of their religious zeal. They came for one reason and one reason only. That's because God in His grace somehow had enabled them to make a connection between this star that appeared in the sky and the birth of the Christ child in Bethlehem. It was all because God led them to Jesus. But isn't that true of all of us? Don't we all come to Jesus the same way? 
We had three young people stand here just a few moments ago, make their professions of faith in Christ. And what we must believe is that God led them to this moment in their lives, drew them to Himself. That's what He did with the wise men. He had the star lead them to Jesus. And for all of us, it is the gospel. It is the good news that leads us to Jesus. Now, it may come to different people in different ways. Some of you who are older like me, if you ask my testimony, I can still remember being in my bedroom. There was a little TV, in, a little black and white TV. No remote control. I was watching Billy Graham. And I gave my heart to Jesus. I had been a friend who shared the good news of the gospel with you, sat down with you and told you what it was to be a Christian, how to be a Christian. Might have been a preacher preaching from a pulpit who explained the gospel and God opened your eyes. Might have been in some other venue, a church camp or conference of some kind, sitting under a Bible study. God uses different means. For the wise men, it was a star. For us, it is the gospel. We all come the same way they came. And that's by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it too is a gift of God that no one should boast. The wise men are an example of grace. Second example we see in them is an example of expectation. You know, in some way God revealed to these men that something special had happened. And they made a long journey, folks. It was probably a thousand miles. Looking, coming to look for Jesus. And they expected to find Him. They were, again, astrologers or astronomers of some fashion, and they were able to make that connection between the star and the birth of Christ in some way. But notice when they came to Herod in verse 2, they asked him this question, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The question was not if he had been born, but where has he been born? They didn't come trying to ask to see if what they had understood was true. They came to find what they had been told was true. Where is he? Where is he? This one who's been born king of the Jews. They expected to find him. They would have been surprised if they didn't find him. In what way is that an example to us? We ought all to live with this expectation of seeing Jesus. And I'm not talking about just seeing Jesus in heaven someday. I'm talking about seeing Jesus in very real ways in our lives. You see, trusting in Jesus is to make a difference. It's not just a matter of the head, it's a matter of the heart. 
And if you would ask those three young men who stood there a little while ago, I probably asked them that question 50 times if I've asked them once. I use this illustration. A lot of people miss heaven by 18 inches. It's distance between their head and their heart. It's not enough just to know the truths, the facts of Christ. You must embrace Christ, receive Christ as your Savior from sin. And when you do, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and in your life. There's a real difference that is made. And because of that difference, you see, we ought to be able to see a reflection of Christ in us. We ought to expect that, folks. We ought to expect to see Jesus doing something in our lives. And to be honest with you, sometimes I look at my life and I want to ask the question, the wise man asks, where, where is he? Where is he? Where, where's the difference he's to make in me? Maybe you had that same experience yourself, but you see, we all ought to have that sense of expectation that we would find Jesus to be real. To be here. To be real in your life. To be real in your family. To be real in, in this church. When, when, if people come into this church to visit, I don't want them asking, where is he? I want them to know he's here. To see that he makes a difference in the lives of his people. And so the, the second example the wise men give to us is an example of expectation of finding Jesus. And then there's a third example. And that's the example of faith. An example of faith, you know, their diligence paid off. And, and whether they found Jesus in Bethlehem, as some think, or they found Jesus in Nazareth a couple of years later, as others think, one is they found him. When they saw him, they recognized him to be the king of the Jews. Now, it took a considerable amount of faith because what they saw didn't look anything like a king. He was a young child in his mother's lap being taken care of and provided for just like any other child. That took a considerable step of faith. In fact, this whole account of the Magi gives us an example of faith. These men believed Jesus to be the Messiah when they never saw him. They believed him to be the king of the Jews, even when he was just a small child. And that really is, I think, the crowning point of their faith. They saw no miracle to convince them. They saw no evidence to persuade them. There was no sign of deity or greatness to to, uh, to overwhelm them. All they saw was a small child. Just a child. And they believed that child to be the Messiah. Now, we know something about children here. Look around. You'll see a few children here this morning. You know, none of us know what these children someday will do or accomplish. Some of the children here are going to do amazing things. They're going to hold important position. Some of these young people, these children here, someday are going to do great things in the kingdom of God. But you can't tell that now, can you? You can't tell just by looking at them. 
They just look like children. And that's what the Magi saw. They saw a child held by his mother. And they said, this is king. It was a step of faith. And that's what we must do as well, is believe even when it appears there isn't much to believe in. To take God at his word, to believe his truth, even though the circumstances around us may declare otherwise. God delights in that kind of faith. A faith that believes when it's hard to believe. You see, faith is believing what we can't see. Faith is believing in what can't necessarily be proven. Faith is believing in things that are higher and greater than ourselves. That's the kind of the faith the Magi. It really is the kind of faith that reminds me of the faith of the thief on the cross. Very similar to the faith of the of the Magi. Because there hung that man being condemned to death for the crimes he committed. And he looked over to his right, and there he saw another man in the very same condition, nailed to a cross, bleeding wounds, being crucified, put to death, charges that had been trumped up against him. But that thief looked to his right, and he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he believed that dying man was the Savior. Faith. Faith. And then the final example they give us is an example of worship. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's the stated reason, isn't it? That the wise men came looking for Jesus. That's what they told him again in verse 2. Where is he who has been king, born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come, we've come to worship him. And then finally, when they arrived, that's exactly what they did. I want you to see, as I conclude this morning, three parts of their worship of the Christ child. For one, their worship was full of joy. We're told in verse 10, when they saw the star, they reasoned. Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That was when the the star stopped over the place where the child was. And when they knew they were about to see the Christ child and worship him, the Bible says they were filled with joy. Filled with joy. You know, I, I know that worship is serious business, folks, but worship is to be a joyful experience. We're here to worship the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We're here because God in His mercy and grace has brought us out of darkness into life, saved us from our sins, given us the gift of eternal life. If you can't find some joy in that, you can't find joy in anything. No, I'll be more serious. If you can't find joy in that, Maybe you really haven't experienced that. Worship 
is to be a joyful experience. I pray for you every Lord's Day morning in particular. I pray for your worship. I pray that you would come out of a sense of delight, anticipation, expectation, not dragging yourself up here because it's another Sunday and you just got to come to church. But out of a sense of anticipation, it's the Lord's Day. And I get to go to church. I get to worship Him. Joy. The second part of their worship that we find in the text was reverence. We're told after coming into the house, verse 11, they saw the child with Mary's mother and they fell to the ground. They fell to the ground and worshiped Him. Reverence. The first response. Isn't it interesting in the Bible again? I point this over and over again. Anytime anyone comes in the presence of deity in the Bible, or an angel, a messenger from God, the first thing they do is prostrate themselves face down on the ground. And in some way, no, I don't believe he had a halo over his head. But in some way, these men knew that this was God in the flesh. And the first thing they did was bow reverently before him. There's to be a sense of reverence and awe about worship. Because we come here, again, not for ourselves. We come here because of him. We come not just to make ourselves feel better, but we come to glorify and honor the King of kings and exalt him. And that's what we see in the Magi. They reverently prostrated themselves before the Lord. And then the, the, the third part of their worship is they, they gave him gifts. It, it, it might well be that the giving of gifts is, is kind of the ultimate act of worship. We have different elements to our worship, don't we? We have prayer. We have the reading of Scripture. We have singing of hymns. We have uh, the preaching of the word. And another important part of our worship is giving. It's an, it's an essential part of our worship. Giving. And, and the, 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 the Magi gave. They gave expensive gifts. Costly gifts. Gold. And frankincense. And myrrh. They, they brought and they gave there to the baby Jesus. But you know what God wants more than any of your tangible physical gifts? God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to give yourself to Him. What an example. Don't you find it encouraging to find this example of these men who, who give us such an example of grace, of God's wonderful, marvelous Amazing grace. Of this wonderful sense of expectation of, of finding Jesus to be real. This example of faith. Of believing when there's just a little in which to believe. And this example of worship. May God bless us as we seek to follow that example this Christmas.
and all through the next year and the rest of our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these men. We don't know them. Don't know much about them. Don't know what happened to them after this. All we know is they, they came looking for Jesus. And they found him. And I pray that we might follow in their steps. That we might seek the Lord Jesus. Trust in him. And live for him and worship him all the days of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.